Matthew 21. Matthew 21. And I always consider that, you know, in choices of hymns and how the Lord leads in directing those choices and the sermon and the contents of that, like this morning with the, uh, the uh, adult class, the morning service, and also the special song before the message, they, how they, they fit together. The Lord works things out, doesn't he? And <clears throat> we're in Matthew 21. We've seen the Lord driving the traders out of the temple, made a whip, and uh, this is the second time he did it early in his ministry. He did, he's done it later in his ministry. He gave a parable of the barren fig tree. And that really irked the religious leaders. And they got very upset with him. Um, <clears throat> the fig tree withered away. <laughs> it didn't, didn't have any. With, within, because it had no fruit and the Lord cursed it, it withered away. And so... It's a picture of Israel and the Jew, these religious leaders began to get the drift of the Lord in what he was saying. He's talking about us, <laughs> talking about us. And uh, <clears throat> then they came to him and said, by what authority do you do these things? <laughs> and as we mentioned when we went there, who do they think they are? And we say, oh, terrible Jews, <clears throat> terrible people that did this to Jesus. But is not our generation and every generation doing the same? This is our, we just said it, our father's world. But who do people think it is? Whose do they think it is? They think it's theirs. <clears throat> Nations think it's their country. It's God's world. Now, we're not under <clears throat> a theocracy like Israel was, but we do, as Gentiles, recognize that <clears throat> this is God's world. The universe is his. He put it into existence. He owns all that's in it and anybody upon it. <clears throat> upon it. And so <clears throat> here they challenge the authority. By what authority? And Jesus said, well, I'll tell you if you tell me. That was the question put there in the, the baptism, baptism of John, from where was it? From heaven or from men? And then they couldn't answer, so he said, I'm not telling you, but it's pretty clear by what authority he was doing this. The Lord claimed God's authority, his father's authority. <clears throat> and then we looked at the two sons, and then the Lord gave three parables after they challenged him about the authority, what authority he was doing this upon. He gave them three parables. A parable of the two sons. One said... I go, sir, and went not. And that's exactly what the Jews, Jewish nation said to, to Moses way down back when the nation came out of Egypt. Uh, all that the Lord has said we will do. And that's said over and over again in the book there of Exodus and uh, around those, those books there. And they didn't. They failed in their responsibility. God likes the person, and this is personally applicable at may say, well, no, I'm not going. Just blatant, outright says it to your face. But then afterward, they're convicted about that and go. And uh, who did the Father's will? <laughs> well, the one that said he wouldn't, but did go. 
and the harlots believe before you. And so the Lord's applying this to them. Then we come to this next one. We're looking at half of this one this evening leading into the Lord's table. That's why we're having the Lord's Supper afterward. Because this naturally leads into that. In verse 33 of 21, here another parable. There was a certain householder who planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a winepress in it and, and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. <clears throat> and the husbandmen took the servants and beat one, killed another and stoned another. And again, he sent other servants more than the first and they did the same unto them. But the last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him. Let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. When the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? Uh, you can read the rest tonight, later, <laughs> but this is as far as we'll, Lord willing, get, <clears throat> get this evening. We mentioned last week that the vineyard represents Israel up to their rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The fig tree represents Israel presently, withered away. The olive tree represents Israel when they turn to Christ again in the future. And we, we mention that because it, it fits in with what we're looking at in these tonight. So just uh, by way of note as we go past these thoughts. A parable of retribution is what we have in verse 33 to 46. If you've got your outline, it's, you follow along there. The Lord and his vineyard. We see first of all in this parable the householder spoken about. We've all probably tried our hand at uh, growing some veggies or some fruit trees, something of that nature in the backyard, uh, some from fre fresh veggies. It takes time, doesn't it? It takes effort, particularly when the soil is a poorer type of soil <laughs> that I say around here is, unless you're on the river flat. But it <clears throat> takes time to do that. And this householder did exactly that with his vineyard. This is more, this is bigger than a backyard plot. Uh, he cultivated it. He fertilised it. He hedged it in. He fenced it, put a watchtower, wine press. He put the supports up. He put the posts in. What does all this picture? Well, God is the householder. The vineyard is Israel, and the Lord has a unique relationship with them and they with him. He nurtured it. He nurtured them down in Egypt. He kept them for those 400 plus years in Egypt. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 15 and verse 18. <clears throat> Genesis, back at the beginning, chapter 15, verse 18. In chapter 12 of Genesis, in chapter 15 of Genesis, uh, yes, 15 of Genesis, and I think it's chapter 17. There's talk of the covenant that God made with Israel. 
And chapter 15, verse 18, we read this. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt. Now, what, where is the river of Egypt? The Nile. Unto the great river, and this one's named, Euphrates. Where does Euphrates run through now? Iraq, the top there, and all the war, the, the, the war that's been going on back and forward there. We probably have one of our own or several that have been there in that, involved in that and crossed the river, river Euphrates. I've never asked Marcus what did it look like. But um, <clears throat> this, is the, this is the land that is promised to Abraham. Have they ever had all that land? Not even under David, not even under Solomon. The height of their kingdoms, they never got it. God said he would give it to them. God made a promise, a covenant with Abraham. God keeps his covenants. And this is an unconditional covenant. That means even if Israel fails in their responsibility to keep some things, God will keep his side of the bargain. Anyway, we'll move on from that thought. This is the covenant. The Kenites and the Kenizzites and the Kadamites and the Hittites and the Perizzites. No Palestinians. <laughs> They're just this last century. That, sorry, that's what the Bible says. That's history. That's God's history. And uh, yes, we don't use that phrase, do we? <laughs> I use the phrase not occupied lands. I use the, the, the land of the um, Samaritans. Because that's, that's what part of it is. And here, these are the, the little nations, the little kingdoms that occupied the place that Abraham was given. God gave them the land. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. God promised it to them and was going to give them this. And this can be a problem that we have. This lack of appreciation, this lack of thanks for what, God has done for us. We can say, oh, look at the Jews. Look what they did. Huh? What about us? <laughs> what are we doing with the promises of God involved in the new covenant that we are participants of today in the spending of our time and life on earth? Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 10. <clears throat> we read, And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he swore unto thy fathers. He made this covenant with Abraham. He reiterated it to Isaac. And he also gave it to Jacob. To give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not. And houses full of good things which thou fillest not. And wells digged which thou diggedest not. <laughs> Vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, and when thou shalt have eaten to the full, then beware lest thou forget the Lord who brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Now do you get the tie between what we're talking about, the vineyard that the Lord planted, the householder who put this all together for them? You see, <clears throat> yes, Israel was slaving down in Egypt under the whip, but back in the land that they were going to inherit, they were building the land up. They were planting vineyards. They were putting in olive groves. 
They were digging wells. They were building cities. And hey, just keep working down there because up there your work's been done. Now, wouldn't it be good to have someone set it all up for you? Put the dams in and the wells. I didn't have dams. <laughs> and do all these things. You see, God was in the planning stage. He was putting this together for them. The vineyard being put together. What a, what a blessing for them to be able to go in and take that land. But beware lest you forget the Lord your God. And this is building the case against them as we look at this parable. Back in Matthew. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 21. We see the vineyard planted by the husbandman. Or the householder. Sorry, the householder. The vineyard protected. He hedged it round about. If the land of Israel is the hub, then Europe, Africa and Asia are the spokes to the hub of the land of Israel. The land of Israel is a coveted place. Because of its geographical location, everybody passes through that to go anywhere in, in that world. And, and up to Turkey, down to Egypt, and, and we look at it today, up, in, up toward Europe. It was a place in the highways, the trafficking highways, the industrial highways, as we say, were, were put there. Rome built roads down there when they took over, and it became a place. It was a protected place by the Lord, hedged it round about. And when the farmer puts in a crop, he hedges it in. It's a strategic land whom Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, the Persians, the Greeks and the Romans coveted and they came to take it too and they walked through it. At some times, like Antiochus Epiphanes went through it to do something down in Egypt and he come back through it and then just took vengeance out on it and just for the sake of doing that. But the, <clears throat> the vineyard was protected by the Lord so long as the children of Israel did that which was right. And that's the key, isn't it? And it's not saying that the land is not an eternal possession to Israel. The, the, the whole problem in our world today, you know, if that, that would be settled over there, we'd have peace in the world. But while that Israel's in turmoil, then the world will be in turmoil. <clears throat> and if the leaders would recognise that, they're not going to because the Bible says they're not. <laughs> would recognise Israel. Uh, what do they want to do to Israel today? And a driver into the Mediterranean Sea and not have one Jew left. That's their intent. Well, as long as they've got that intent, there's someone on the throne in heaven who's dead set not going to let that happen. <laughs> it's God, the Father. He's the householder and he's looking over them. So it's a waste of time and energy for what they're doing there. And they're with their intents and their threats. I hear the threats from Iran particularly, the leaders. And I think, you know, if you only... <laughs> I feel like we'll send him a letter. <laughs> if you could read this letter, sir, <laughs> this is what's going to happen. <laughs> You see, the Bible sets us in a better position, doesn't it? Now the vineyard provisioned wine press and a tower, <clears throat> a land flowing with milk and honey. Only Israel as a nation has a treaty relationship with God. He is the owner and it's his land. As, is, as Andrew said in United Nations when he set up that banner before the uh, Security Council some years ago, <laughs> there's a God on the throne in heaven and Israel is his land. Don't divide it. And then he and his father-in-law set it outside when all those people were going into the security council and the Jews come up and like, oh, how did you get that there? 
Well, we didn't ask permission, we just did it. <laughs> and uh, they were quite pleased. The Jewish delegation said, thank you, thank you for saying that and letting people know, the leaders of the world, there's a God on the throne in heaven, Israel is his land, don't divide it. And uh, that, that's pretty well the sum of what we're looking at in the Bible. The vineyard was provisioned, a treaty relationship with God. He owns it. It's his particular place. He chose it for a particular reason. And as I've said, I would rather be in the Dandenongs. I'm sorry, but sorry, Andrew, if you're listening, than Israel with the, the, the climate. It's just, it, it's very similar to here with the heat and in February really hot, dry, dusty and smoky. Yep, over there. That was in about September when we were there. It's just, it might look a lot better. We should go when it's green. <laughs> Shouldn't we, Andrew? And I can hear him shouting amen. He's been trying to get me over there again. <laughs> but <clears throat> the vineyard here is provision, its owner. God gave Israel only sorry, only his, not only his principles, but his precepts, his oracles, his prophets, his promises, the divine guidance. Israel only is a theocracy of all nations of the world where God ruled over them directly. Let's turn to Romans chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. This is New Testament, remember? Romans 3. 1 to 3, and there are many more verses we could look at. What advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? Paul said, much every way. Now, this is a Jew speaking, an apostle to the Gentile people, but this is what he said of the Jewish people, of which he was a member of that nation. Much every way, chiefly because unto them were committed the oracles of God. For what? If some did not believe, shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? No. Whether they believe or not, God's going to carry it out. But to them we're given all these blessed things. We are recipients of the blessing. If you go to Romans chapter 11, we, are, we have been grafted into the olive tree. And we partake of the fatness. We partake of the... This book was put together by the blood of the Jews. The Lord Jesus Christ was born into the Jewish nation. He is our saviour. We have much to be thankful for and the world is not thankful for what has come through the Jews, the oracles of God. Let's appreciate that. Now, <clears throat> thinking of vineyards, I don't know if this is a confession or just this is reality. I have worked in a few. I'm not... That was way before any grapes were growing, okay? <laughs> and <clears throat> to set up a vineyard is not cheap. We were, we were in there first with the, bull, with the bulldozers. <laughs> and you'd, you'd have to do, they'd have to do a lot of things. And they had it marked out. They had surveyors in to get it all. You know how, who was it? S someone in church was saying the other day, where you go past a tree, trees. Was it Tony in there? And you go past a any sort of plantation, you look that way, you look that way, you look anyway, they all seem to line up. Well, they get actual surveyors in there to mark it all out and put it exactly. And then they get us in and they, you deep rip and you go down about a metre deep with one rip, with one tine on the bulldozer and you go right down so that when they put the, the, the whatever it is, whether it be olives or, or, or grapes in, 
the roots go right down in the first year down to where the moisture and the goodness is so it takes less fertilizer. Then they put, then the, the people that get angry with the bulldozer drivers come in and try and put post in and they've got a hole just off centre where the surveyor has put his peg and the post won't go straight and it crook. Anyway, been through all that. <laughs> then they put all the wires up and they put, put a protection around it and, and, and then they put, <laughs> we had one fella, uh, we're putting a dam, dams in for them to water the place and he, he came up to me and he owns a restaurant just on Warburton Highway. I put a restaurant site in for him and he, he was telling me about when we were putting a dam off the farm for him about the crows. Uh, and he said, see them crows? He said, you look at them. I said, I have been. Uh, <clears throat> this is in the gully looking toward Warburton. They're all flying down there. Then they're all flying back there. Then they're all flying up here. I said, what's going on? He said, well, that fellow's shooting them. <laughs> and they go down there and that fellow shoots them. And they go back there. <laughs> and he said, you wouldn't believe it that the government come when I told my workers to get rid of the crows, and bang, bang, <clears throat> and... Um, <laughs> They come and took him to court in Victoria because the crow is a protected species. You're not supposed to be doing this to the crows, even if you're feeding them. <clears throat> and so I said, we'll stone the crows. <laughs> because he was just trying to protect his vineyard. <laughs> but he, you're going to either shoot him, stone him. And that wasn't going to happen either. <laughs> but all these expenses, and it cost about 20, 15, 20 years ago, it cost 20 sorry, $10,000 an acre to put that in. And this is exactly what we're thinking of here. God has expended much to get Israel to what it was, to where it was, and all the provisions for them. But they didn't appreciate it. Get that point, because this is what we're going toward in application for ourselves tonight. The husbandman. We've seen the householder, God, now the husbandman, <clears throat> we see in the last part of verse 33, their trust, what they were entrusted with. And he built a tower and led it to the husbandman and went into a far country. God gave it into the hands of the Jewish nation and he went into a far country. Where is it? <laughs> Heaven. <clears throat> went into a far country. And... Uh, Jesus came to earth for us. He's given his life. He's given us his oracles, the New Testament, and he's gone into a far country. I'll go to prepare a place for you where I am, where? In heaven. There ye may be also. And so <clears throat> we see their trust. He led it out to them. And when you are renting a place that you own, you would like them to treat it as you would treat it, treat it with respect. Don't damage it. Look after it. And for the, for the Jewish nation, that's what God entrusted them with, these husbandmen. Look after this place that I've given you. Take care of it. Stay on the ball. Stay true to me. <clears throat> How about, have we been true to the trust he left us as churches? Have we been? Yes, he gave them priests. He gave them Rulers, he gave them kings, he gave them judges, appointed by the Lord, elected and chosen by the Lord. He gave them elders, but what a miserable bunch they were. They treated the vineyard like it was theirs. They decimated the vineyard 
they took advantage of it. It would be like a, a, a fella hiring a farm or renting a farm these days and just taking everything out, not putting any fertiliser back in, not putting the fences up, not fixing the fences, not cleaning up the trees and limbs that fall off, you know, and just letting it go to ruin, letting the weeds and the blackberries grow and the thistles, the scotch thistles and the, all sorts of thistles grow and not looking after it. That's what they did, spiritually speaking, the Jews, to the land that God trusted them with as husbandmen. We see their treachery now as it even gets worse. We look at verse 34. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. At least he was lenient. This man had a one-year plan, at least. <laughs> well, I'll wait until after harvest, until I ask for the first lot of rent from the land. I'll let them get their harvest in, time for payment, so that they might have to give to pay for the use of the land. <clears throat> and... <clears throat> We read verse 35, and the husbandman took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. <coughs> what treachery. The first group we see there, beat one, killed one and stoned another. And this final group in verse 36, again he sent other servants more than the first and they did the same to them. They did the same again. Let's turn to the book of Kings. First Kings chapter 18 and verse 13. <coughs> See what these people, this nation, did to those whom the Lord gave them. First Kings. And this, these are only a, a couple of occasions. Chapter 18. <clears throat> I'm still looking for it too. I can hear some pages. 18. 13. Was it not told my Lord... What I did when Jezebel slew the prophets of the Lord. How I hid a hundred men of the Lord, prophets by fifty in a cave, and fed them with bread and water. What did they do with the prophets? What did Jezebel, married to Ahab, King Ahab, do to the prophets? Slew the prophets. Slew the prophets. And we could go to many references. Let's go to Second Kings 36. For sake of time, we won't go to all these. But 2 Kings 36 and verse 15 and 16. That hasn't got chapter 36 in it. Oh, we're in a pickle now, aren't we? Well, let's go to the New Testament. I know where this one is. <laughs> I'll have to correct that. It might have been in Chronicles... I was just looking at First Kings. Does it go to... No. <clears throat> Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35. And hey, there is a lot of occasions where he does nail them down, what they did to the kings, what they did to the prophets. But in the New Testament, looking back at the Old Testament and the faithful saints of the Lord, see how they were treated. It was hard to be a prophet in those days. Your life was under threat. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30, 32. What shall I say, for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Bar Barak, and of Samson, 
and of Jephthah, and of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, Daniel, <laughs> quenched the violence of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonments. This is the way they treated the servants when they came to them from the Lord. And this is what the Lord's trying to get across in this parable to these religious leaders. You're doing the same thing. You haven't changed. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. They were alive when they were sawn asunder. Were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a, a good report through faith, received not the promise. They lived their life and it hadn't come to pass yet. The promises of God. God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. And so this is what they did to the prophets in their day. Let's make an application to this. Have things changed much? Is the heart of men still the same toward the servants of the Lord? You think about it. It talks in the scripture in the New Testament. Let's, let's look there to Galatians chapter 4. This is speaking of an apostle. Now this is where Pastor McConnell should come up and take over. <laughs> and, and he's been through 30 years of being a pastor. He knows what happens. And um, it's not always nice. You see, folk, you don't know a lot of things that happen. You can't talk about it. Preacher can't say anything. But we can read the scriptures and say what, they, what happened there. And here is the church of Galatia, who, who Paul was a part of, who, whose souls had been saved by the ministry of Paul. And then we read in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 15, and they, they got a bit uppity about themselves and they thought they were okay. How did they treat the servants of the Lord when they were sent? Well, we read there in 4.15. When the, where is then the blessedness you spoke of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you'd plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. It's, it seemed Paul had a problem with his eyes. He couldn't see properly. And to be a preacher, a minister, an evangelist and a church planter as he was, having eyesight would be a real blessing. Good eyesight. And they would have plucked them out and given them. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And that's at the crux of a lot of the hatred and the despising of those that are spiritual leaders. The leaders read the word of God, interpret the word of God, tell the truth to the people of God, and then the people don't like it. And I become your, am I your enemy because of that? They zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you, that ye might affect them. 
but it's good to be zealously affected always in a good thing. Paul went on talking to them. But this, this is what and how they treated the servant of the apostle, the apostle Paul. First Timothy chapter 5, just over a little bit, and verses 17 to 19. First Thessalonians 5, 17 to 19, we read there. <clears throat> Timothy. That's why it's, thank you. Let, yeah, let the elders be, that rule well be counted worthy of double honour, especially they who labour in word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the, grain, the corn, and the labourer is worthy of his reward. And against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses, there are things that are in the scripture laid down that we'd best give heed to. We'd best give heed to. <laughs> I could ask Pastor O'Connell, were you accused? And that without witnesses. And he probably would say, yeah, amen, yes. Yes, I have been. <laughs> and amazing who does it. It's, you, you're just flabbergasted when it happens. You don't believe it could happen in the way it happens at times. But it happens. Things haven't changed much. That's what they did to the prophets. And if you're going to go into ministry, you can expect that. And you have to keep grinning, and you have to keep the right attitude. You have to keep the right attitude toward the person that did it, Christian attitude. You've got to love them and understand that they're not understanding what they're doing and saying at the time they do it. And often it's because of bitterness or, or the hate of what you've said from the scripture. And you pray that the, the Lord will lead them to the truth and help them to grow. We could go to Corinthians, we haven't time. To Corinthians where Paul had to justify himself to the Corinthian church which he established as well. And they were saved through his ministry. And after a while familiarity bred contempt and they had contempt for him. And they said, who called you an apostle? You're not even an apostle. And he said, you wouldn't be saved if it wasn't for me and my ministry to you. What is going on here? And he had to justify his apostleship. And there he said, I don't want to boast, but I have to say what's happened to me in my life. That I've been through shipwrecks. I've been through all these miseries and pains that you might have the word of God and might be delivered from eternal hell. Hey, do we appreciate those that minister? If it wasn't for them and their faithfulness in service, where would we be? You think back to people that have influenced you, spiritually speaking. Where would you be going or headed if it wasn't for their commitment? To hell? It's pretty logic. You, it would be... A terrible eternity if it wasn't for somebody that come and shared and shared with your children and your grandchildren as time goes on these things these people got these people these servants that come to collect the Jews slew them beat them cast them out and now we come to that which we have before the Lord's table back to the book of Matthew <clears throat> in verse 37 at last of all he sent unto us, or unto them, his son. So the householder sent to the husbandman his only son, saying, they will reverence my son. 
They will respect my son. They will do him homage. When he turns up at the vineyard, they'll bow before him. They'll humble themselves before him. They'll fall prostrate before my son. He owns this place. Well, his dad owns this place. They sent Jesus Christ. He sent Jesus Christ, his son. What did they do to the son? But when the husbandmen saw the son, in verse 38, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him. Let us seize on his inheritance. They caught him and cast him out of the vineyard. And they slew him. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 3. And thinking this in light of celebrating the Lord's Supper, remembering that, keep it in mind. Hebrews chapter 3. You know, if we despise, as these people despise those that are sent from the Lord, there are consequences that come. They don't come all of a sudden, they come over time, and they come into the generations, or come upon the generations to follow as well. And here in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 3, we read, For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, speaking of the Lord, the high priest of our profession, Jesus Christ, Inasmuch as he who hath built the house has more honour than the house. For every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house, as a servant for a testimony to those things which were to be spoken of afterward. But Christ, as a son of his, his own house, whose house we are, if we hold, the perfect, hold fast the, the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope, firm unto the end chapter 7 and verse 19 of hebrews 7 and verse 19 for the law made nothing perfect but the bringing in of a better hope did for which we draw nigh to god we've been brought the lord jesus brought us better hope he's a better priest he brought in a better household the household of god the church he, he sacrificed, he gave a better sacrifice, his own, his own body, better blood that takes away, doesn't just cover the sin. We could go through all these things, I've got them all written down here from the book of Hebrews. But praise God, he's building a better house. How did they treat the, the, the householder servant? They slew him. They nailed him on a tree. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 and 3. Hebrews 12, 2 and 3. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Praise the Lord for the example that Jesus has given the leaders in the church and the people of, of faith. Consider him that endured. If we think we've got it hard, think about the Lord Jesus Christ. When you're about to fail and your knees collapse and are wearied, think of the Lord Jesus Christ. What he went through at the hands of his own people, his own creation, to which he gave everything and invested all into them. And one more reference is Hebrews chapter 2 and verses 5 through to 10. Hebrews 2, 5 to 10. 
<clears throat> For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, of which we speak. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Why does he even bother with us? <laughs> or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. You crown, crownest him with glory and honour and did set him over the works of thy hands. Exactly what we're looking at. The husbandmen have been put by the household in charge of these things. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all things in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. That's mankind. He's put everything under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. In, in them crucifying the son that was sent, it made an offering for all man's sin, didn't it? God was working in a wonderful way behind the scenes. For it became him whom, for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing, bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation, Jesus Christ, perfect through suffering. And praise God for the offering of himself for our sins. He was in the world. The world was made by him. And what does it say? The world knew him not. And in the next verse, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But the next verse tells us, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. What treachery that a nation should do this to their God, the Lord Jesus. What belligerence and arrogance. What pride. What a wicked thing to do. But in it all, God was working his will out for mankind and for Israel. What are we doing? Are we better than they? No, in no wise, Paul said, we have before proved. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Thank God for his sacrifice of his son through, yes, Israel, and we nailed him there with our sins that we might have life eternal. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, again for the word of God that makes so much sense to us sinners. You condescended to give us something that we could comprehend put it in our language to meet our need and sent your son who they slew and tried to take over the vineyard. Our Lord, may we not do that, but may we be grateful and thankful and, and in our hearts praising you and blessing you for what you have done for us. May we never cease to remember Jesus died for my sin. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.